Welcome on into the show. My name is Danny Gallagher, and I am joined by the snare campaign provocateur, the fourth member of the Lonely Island. It's Benny Horowitz. What's up? I love the long. I love that stuff, Denny. You, you know me. I love comedy. I discovered uh, Pop Star, the oh. movie. You know, don't stop. Sort of on my me. own. I don't know why it wasn't bigger. It's literally like a comedy classic. And uh, yeah, I'll put it on wax right now. If Lonely Island gives uh, Gaslight and Brian a call, I think think you might get a very positive answer. Oh, there we go. Now, which yeah, song? Right which 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 which? Uh, obviously, like they'd have to be driving in a car somewhere. It'd have to be like. Well, I don't know, because also I would love to just pitch like a new dick in the box. Oh wait no? a minute! I have the <laughs> Benny Horowitz crossover here. Do you remember they did that like? Short about the Oakland A's and like McGuire, yeah. Uh huh. Like, so like, the Bash Brothers, yeah. So like maybe something about let's see, what's uh KD and Kyrie? No, just kidding. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> I'll play KD. Perfect. I'm the perfect person to play the Slim Reaper. <laughs> you play Kyrie. Oh, think my, you can yes. handle it? Oh, dude, you give me about six hours on YouTube, I could be there in a heartbeat. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. You go practice your dribbling, pal. <laughs> But what's new, dude? What's up with you? What's new this week? Oh, you know, the same getting in game shape. Mm. Talking about the gym with you. Yeah. Pumping iron. All the the (laughs) weird moral codes that belong in the gym. What level of grunting is acceptable, Denny? Oh, man. Like, I know you got to push it. You got to tax your body. Do whatever. But, like, what's what's an acceptable level of gruntage at the gym? I'm not sure, but I think the audience would be surprised to know that like I'm the yoga guy and you're like the pump the iron guy. I think I think they'd be very oh. surprised to see that I'm not the pump the iron guy. <laughs> Listen, you know why I go to the gym. It's an excuse to go steam. That's it. <laughs> That's it, my man. Dude. I just love sweating it out with a towel. If I had like some cake the night before, I feel a lot better about myself. That's about it. I'm telling Everything you. Everything I do is just an excuse to go into there. I do not enjoy is one of the things I realized is that I had (laughs) I had one time in my life I had ever been instructed how to use a gym and it was like somewhere around the summer after seventh grade I got connected with like the high school football team coaches and gym my dad always wanted me to play because I was big And for like a whole summer, I committed to it and went and got kind of big and like used this stuff. And like last year, I'm like 40 and I'm at the gym and I'm realizing like, I'm like, I don't know what to do. Everyone seems so proficient at this place. And I'm like, oh, yeah, like the last time someone ever told me what to do in here, I was I was 10. And they were trying to jack me up to be a football player, which I think is quite a different thing. So. Uh, yeah, I'm really no gym expert. I'm, I'm just kind of navigating it. I lie on a mat most of the time with like resistance bands. It's not sexy. Oh, I love when you do this. Well, you know what segment is always sexy. What is that? <laughs> it's this day music history. Do, 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 do. So I'm going to double double shot because there's nothing too interesting, but there's a theme. Maybe you can figure it oh, out. Okay. First, in 2017, Toby Keith Hmm. performs to an all-male audience in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, in one of the first concerts in the city since a ban on public performance of music was relaxed 
after more than 25 years. I bring this up because I'm just, I'm confused. Why is, okay. Toby Key is like, uh, like the America guy, right? I think like so, Mr. Yeah. Like, like d- you fuck your Yankee blue jeans, like <laughs> type guy. Like, yeah, that's his whole thing. I like so. speak English or get out or, or whatever he does. So what's his relationship with Saudi Arabia? And like, why do they choose the most like, uh, you know, kind of grossly like, you know, over the top American dude to go like, what, what happened there? Tell me. I'm confused. Well, number one, I think they got a like. I feel like the pool of people that would take the money, I feel like that immediately cuts the entertainment business in half. The people that would take it and the least. people that wouldn't. Yeah. Okay. Right. Sure. So once you go from there, you're like, and plus, I feel like 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 a Toby Keith show is like, we're drinking a bud and having fun, Toby Keith. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> well, actually, now they bring that up. I you answered my question really, really swiftly, which is just like literally playing to an all male audience would literally like take out ninety percent of reasonable artists in the music industry, probably more. Yeah. I you know, if like like that would never even come across my desk. Because yeah. the people who work for my band would find it so repulsive and incomprehensible to go play there for any amount of money. So, yeah, I guess that answers the question why Toby Keith <laughs> was the first one to pull back the veil on American music. But imagine that, like, the people in the crowd are just these potentially, I don't know, just these devout Muslims maybe don't really know about like American entertainment and subculture. <laughs> and that is the first exposure, maybe the only exposure they'll ever have in their lives to it in a live setting. Jesus. <laughs> that's, that's not good. That that's may not- be our market. I think just playing Saudi Arabia. <laughs> Stop it, Jenny. Stop it. All right. What's your you know, double shot? You know, you know, uh, we didn't do so well in the Crusades, <laughs> my people. Okay. I know you had fun. All right. So second in my, in my thematic, this day in music history is in 2003, South Carolina's parole board pardons James Brown of all past offenses committed in the state, even the felony, even the felonies spurring James Brown to spontaneously sing God bless America at the conclusion of his hearing. Are these not the two polar opposites of America (laughs) right here? You know, Toby Keith playing in Saudi Arabia and James Brown at his own hearing singing God bless America after getting away with like super foul shit. You think those two could have been friends? Um, they're about as the same as uh George Bush having an apparent institute and uh, going all um the Iraq war was a uh oh no comparing Iraq and Ukraine so I, I think they were about as similar as that. I didn't hear that. I was thinking you were gonna say more of a uh George Bush Bill Clinton friendship. Oh well, which hey. exists, which <laughs> does exist. It's all because of the maybe sex. James Brown and Toby Keith could have the same kind of thing. Maybe. All right, Benny. Do you want to hear mine? Because I yeah. I bridged the divide today on this day music history between sports and music. Oh, so on this day in 1969, while watching a Dodgers-Cubs game at Dodger Stadium, Peter Cetera of Chicago 
was attacked by four Marines because they didn't like the length of his hair. Uh, they broke his jaw, resulting in the singer spending two days in intensive care. Um, he later went on to do the rest of their tour with a wired jaw, singing through it, which is crazy. And just for those of you playing along at home, the final score of that game, Cubs 7, Dodgers nothing. That is wild. That's a this day in music history that I like want to listen to a Disgrace Land <laughs> podcast about exactly. or something. Really? How long was his hair? Wait, what year was this? 1969. So this was pre 25 or 64. I think Chicago was still the Chicago Transit Authority. Peter Soteria, 1969. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even that long. Yeah. It's like shoulder length. I have longer hair than that. But they were Marines. I probably have longer hair than that. Well, I mean, I wonder if he had any, uh, if he had any outspoken um, political views, you know, yeah. thoughts on the the Vietnam War at that time. So maybe it was more than his hair. I did just find an article, classic rock and culture, why Chicago's Peter Cetera was once attacked by Marines. So at some point in the rest of this episode, I'll have a broader picture on it. But let us move on. Let us move on, and let's move on to optimism. Let's move on to hope, shall we? And Benny, I think there's very few things that are more optimistic for people than a college graduation on the day. When the bill comes for the student loans, that's a little bit different. But on the day, it's all about optimism and moving forward. So this past week, Taylor Swift gave NYU's commencement address. Uh, the 32-year-old talked about rejection uh, in her speech and how to get past it. Um, she said that that some of her greatest stuff has come from moments of rejection. Quote, my experience has been that my mistakes led to the best things in my life. And being embarrassed when you mess up, it's part of the human experience. Which, if that's the human experience, then this podcast is the human experience on my end every single week. So, Benny, we've talked a bunch on this pod about you wanting to get an honorary degree, maybe mm -hmm. from Rutgers, mm -hmm. maybe from some other place. So Anywhere. I want to know, what would your commencement address be to a 22-year-old who's embarking upon the world? Well, I'm not going to make a whole address here on okay. the tune-up because that, <laughs> that would require like wedding speech type of preparation. I also think Rutgers is probably a stretch. It's a real institution. Uh, I, haven't, I don't really have a body of work here besides for a bunch of music and a bunch of talking. So I think I'm going to have to settle for like a Montclair State Ooh. You know, something like that, like a little smaller, maybe our, our friend St. Peter's. Yeah, St. Peter's. Peacock yeah. costume, <laughs> something like that. But if there's anything I'm learning as I go on, and I learned it, you know, in 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 my rush of of the music industry kind of taking me for a while and not really knowing exactly what was happening and sort of when you're in new ground like that, you tend to you know, have a reactionary mindset because you don't really know what's coming. So there's no way to be prepared for that. And, and I wouldn't tell people to be more prepared. The thing I would tell someone is to make sure that while it's happening, you're keeping your eyes down, you know, because now as a as an older middle aged adult, which I am willing to say, you know, you realize that like you have this very unique and special window with age, health, mental faculty, and and like a, a personal independence that you can kind of do anything with. And you kind of only have it once or twice. But 
the pressure people put on that situation makes you lose joy, you know? And I think it's important to remember you can put yourself in the best position you can possibly be in. You can work as hard as you can work, but there's a lot out of your control and you have to make sure that you're finding joy in every step of the way. And if you're not, then it's not worth doing because, you know, you only get to do it once. And at some point you're going to look back and your knee hurts and you have a kid and you really can't do it anymore. So <laughs> I think that's like my biggest uh, advice at, at this stage right now. And, you know, you know, I'm a little bit closer to 22 than your age. But, you know, the thing that I think is invaluable if you're just getting out of college, obviously you need a job, you need something to do. But like there, I, I think a lot of kids in, in college when they get into the workforce, that first year is bleeping crazy because you go from like you're in school and it's like there's rules and there's just like you kind of think that your teachers are a like superior like officer and stuff like that. So when you go into like the workplace and you're kind of like, okay, like I need to say yes to everything and totally discount your time. No, like I'm serious. Like this, this was like the first five years for yeah. me was like a lot of like doing whatever people wanted me to do because I was like, that's how you're going to get to the top of the ladder. So there's such value in saying no. And some of those okay. no's may lead to mistakes, but some of them may lead to other time for other opportunities. So the value of no, but then also the value to like, you know, maybe your opinions aren't always like, the most important thing uh, when it comes to, you know, trying to, to progress yourself. So you've kind of got to keep your, uh, you know, when it comes to like relationships, being right isn't always the best thing. Oh, that's a big one. Yeah. That's a whole <laughs> podcast right there. That's, that's a, that's a type of wisdom we all need. That's so a I've, uh, I've learned that from Benny a couple times. It's funny. It's <laughs> funny as somebody this age, it's like, it's like when I get pulled over by a cop or something these days, I'm like, uh, it's turned into the thing where I'm like, oh, wait, how old is this fucking kid? Seriously? <laughs> you? And and it's funny to hear that Taylor Swift is giving college commencement yeah. speeches. She, she, I mean, credit to yeah. her. She's been around long enough, been through enough where I'm sure she's got some knowledge to drop. It's just funny as an old man to consider Taylor Swift one of the old wise ones now. You know, I mean, 10 years removed from the college game, 32. That's, uh, that's nothing to sneeze at, so. All right, so Danny, left out of your This Day in Music History. Yeah, okay, let's get to it. Was the fact that Peter Cetera was in Los Angeles at a Los Angeles Dodgers-Chicago Cubs game wearing Cubs gear. Okay. So uh, it was a mix between the long hair and, like, as we know, the... Uh, you know, the general good nature of the people at Dodger Stadium, you know, just being shit fans. I wonder if he had a uh, if he had a snarky mouth, you know? Yeah, but there's also a big difference between being shit fans, as in like bad baseball fans and like being and Philadelphia. Nearly <laughs> killing. <him. laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe too the Cubs. Yeah, maybe the Cubs winning, pitching a shutout that day didn't help, you know, yeah. taking their frustrations out on Chicago. Or maybe they didn't like the group. And <laughs> And oh, maybe, that too. That could maybe they're Steely Dan guys, you know. 
All right, Benny, next headline today. I'm not even sure if the Taylor stuff was a headline, but it, it happened. It yeah. was news. But uh, next headline today, Benny, the 2022 Cannes Film Festival is underway. The Global Film and Television Festival is where creatives from around the world find deals to get their latest work sold, seen, so that it can go from their brain to their camera to your screen, wherever you see it. But... This year, there's a big trend happening. There are more TV shows being sold than movies. Um, all this while Netflix, well, streamers like Netflix conduct rounds of layoffs as their stock price suffers. So there's a lot of great quality TV coming out. Uh, maybe not enough time to see it. I'm curious from your perspective, Benny, would you rather subscribe to a new service to watch a great show that's going to be a couple hours, or would you rather pay for one night to go see a movie for two hours these days? Hmm. Yeah, probably the TV show. Yeah, you know, so I could sit home and stretch this entertainment out, maybe over a few nights, couple weeks. You know, make it a a date night. Like this comes out every Friday at this time. Yeah, like at this point in my life, I do probably value that a little bit more. If that's what exactly I'm gonna do, I mean, here's here's the thing about this sentiment to me, Denny, is like, I agree it's oversaturated, right? Yeah. It's impossible to keep up these days. I do have a feeling the capitalist ways will take hold soon and start to funnel us all to just a few particular corporate overlords, probably making it a little more seamless. But for now, it's hard, even for podcasts. Like, listeners tell me uh, that they listen to things at one and a half speed just because... Who's got like that many, you know, hours in a week? And it makes sense. I do three hours of podcasting a week. Like if you're going to listen to me and a bunch of other people, who the fuck has that much free time? Like it's hard. Most people don't get that much. But there's a couple. There's another side to this, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, the other side is artists and writers and creators are getting to make more shows and getting to make more movies. They're getting to act. Uh, they're getting to, to, to make them. And there's a broader market for creativity, you know, and perhaps not all of it has to be super mainstream and like widely consumed to exist. So, you know, maybe they created a larger independent like show and movie platform that has probably never existed and that has to be a good thing to some extent you know um more people are working and maybe it's just the idea that some of these bigger you know houses and digital services are going to be the ones who have the top guns and the you know the animated movies and the really big mainstream things and and you know more subversive shows and movies and stuff like that can go to the other services but i I like the idea that people have that choice and there's not like, cause you know, the, the movie industry, you're getting a taste. Like so much of it is, is like fighting your way to the very top of like the little whipped cream thing <laughs> where like very few people can, can let you through, you know, it's yeah. like a very exclusive thing and it's meant to be that way. It's anybody who maintains <laughs> power will use the same elements, yeah. you know? So I, I don't want to like just uh, hope for like what it was because what it was are artistically on the artistic side was hard and maybe it's easier now. Yeah. And you, you know, the one thing that I'd say that's kind of a concern is how like these like 
I guess you'd almost call them legacy studios. Like a MGM is now owned by Amazon, and it's like a right. a, a entire like a, almost a hundred year catalog of movies is now comes with your Amazon Prime. So if like if more things are gonna go like that now. With that said, we've seen. Uh, Amazon and Bezos kind of act like a steward over media. I mean, the Washington Post has still maintained its journalistic credibility. So if, 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 if they're in the business of also preserving these things, that's pretty cool. But I, I just don't trust other people to kind of be in that same vein. Um, but you're exactly right. More people getting paid in, in the short term. But I just really wonder what like the future of all of it's going to be. It's like people are, are getting paid now. Right, but is it a bubble? I don't know. Yeah, probably. Which is it's scary, it, super it, scary. Well, it always is with music and with movies and art. Like as the the mediums change, different people benefit, and things have to change. And mm. like, like it's kind of like this constantly evolving thing, you know. Um, so, so yeah, like I think that's just a natural ebb and flow of of any kind of entertainment market like this, you know. Yeah. All right, Benny, let's slightly get into this, the sports here. And we got another Kyrie story this week. It's from a few days ago, but we'll bring it up again. Nike is apparently unlikely to extend Kyrie Irving to a signature shoe deal on the 2022-2023 season. Irving has a new edition of his shoes coming out this fall, but this is expected to be the final year of his lucrative agreement that dates back to 2014. So uh, there's been a bunch of uh, conjecture about Kyrie's future in Brooklyn, Kyrie's future in basketball, really. So what do you make of uh, potentially the end of of Nike ending their relationship with Kyrie Irving. I think it's interesting, you know, especially the fact that like kind of all knew about it. That means like, I think something happened in like a couple days and I don't know if it was some creepy Joe Psy stuff or something like that. Cause I don't want to know what kind of, you know, <laughs> psyops he's, 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 he's has the access to. I think I just probably, Something just happened to me by just even <laughs> saying that sentence. I, I don't know what yet, but it did. But like, you know, one or two days before this Nike thing came out, Sean Marks had his, you know, end of the year press conference. And yeah, it's the first time I ever heard him kind of like bury Kyrie a little, like, you know, really pinned a lot of the season on him, a lot of the troubles on him and really was clear in the idea that like his, his, time there could be over like uh you know i do think that's got a lot to do with kevin durant but but it, it was it was the most i've seen the nets from an organizational side put the heavy on Kyrie a little bit and then the nike thing came out two days later so i do think he got like a, a swift hand of like some sort of corporate justice real fast um i don't know exactly what it means but i know that Kyrie Irving played like 23 games last season uh, when he, you know, didn't do much in a couple of games in the playoffs. Anytime he went back to back, he looked, you know, too small to guard anyone. And, and, you know, he's still Kyrie Irving. Like you still watch him go out there and do incredible things and he can still win you a game. But I mean, that is that like a max, you know, point guard that you're putting out there being like, oh, I need you to play 80 games next season and I need you to run this team. And, I, you know, I don't know. I haven't seen Kyrie be capable of that in a really, really long time. Um, so I do think there's a lot of question marks in him 
uh, and, and his future coming in this offseason. And those two things and the Nike thing were pretty indicative. See, here's the thing, right? We'll have plenty of time to talk about the Kyrie Irving like contract and the actual <laughs> yeah, playing sure. stuff. It's the shoes, man, not to quote the commercial, but it's like, uh-huh. I think Nike here, they're already very popular shoes. People are not going to stop buying the shoes, right? Because for whatever reason, either they look cool or stuff like that. I mean, Kanye's shoes are still very much popular. So I think, you know, maybe like if something's selling for you, unless Nike saw a drop off with all of this stuff and then they're yeah. like, hey, like. If if people aren't gonna buy them, if they're if he's not the guy with the handles, but rather the guy with all of like the crazy tweets and stuff like that. So if that's the case and the sales have dropped off, I see why Nike's done it. But if Nike's just like taking like a stand here because they think that he's not gonna be playing basketball soon, I think then other athletes maybe have to re- uh, revisit what their relationship is with Nike. Well, I mean, but can't you see Nike a little bit? you know, like some boardroom being like, all right, his contract's over. You want to stay ahead of this thing a little bit? Like Mm. maybe we should start to distance ourselves from Kyrie now before he tweets the (laughs) thing that really gets him in trouble, really gets them in trouble or, or something, you know, like, you know, he's a bit of a liability. And, and I do think he probably lost, a good chunk of his fans this year and he gained kind of like the wrong fans in a lot of arenas around America. So, um, yeah, I don't know. That's a, that's a big question mark on that. And you're right. It's about the shoes. Nike probably did him a favor. And all of a sudden these things are getting wrapped in fucking, uh, Ziploc bags all over America (laughs) and the black market on, on Mm. like, you know, 2019, something, something Kyrie's doubled, you know? So, so he might he might get a deal with someone somewhere. Like all of a sudden he's his shoe's gonna turn into the Honus Wagner, you know? Well, that's super interesting because Nike is currently suing the uh shoe app StockX over uh-huh. like uh over like them s- selling counterfeit shoes and like stuff mm-hmm. like that that are there. So that comes out the same week that the Kyrie news come out. Very interesting. We can tie it together. Is it did this just become an investigative report? <laughs> Journalism. Big J. Should I make a call? (laughs) Make some calls? Oh, man. Well, Benny, from a bunch of journalists to a guy who is, I guess he's now considered a journalist. Patrick Beverly had a very busy week (laughs) as an NBA commentator. Uh, He was across the ESPN platforms, and and he's had had some, speaking of crazy tweets, he's had some crazy tweets this postseason. And then Stephen A. Smith was like, hey, come on, first take right after uh, a great weekend of playoff basketball. And he came on and annihilated the Phoenix Suns, but most importantly, future Hall of Famer Chris Paul, who he referred to as a cone on defense that players can simply dribble around. So there's a bunch of active players that have started to try to get these paychecks. Uh, uh, Draymond Green obviously does it very well. Uh, Patrick Beverly coming out here on ESPN now. And he's the latest player to try to turn his offseason into a thing full of hot takes and punditry. So, do you like current players having this sort of platform at a place like ESPN? Uh, I don't necessarily like it, but I don't think he shouldn't be doing it because they're doing it anyway. I mean, this is what the podcast generation and the hot take tweet generation and the snapchat generate you know like you get the point like they they do this anyway 
And, and every night you could watch a playoff basketball game and aggregate the amount of like former and current players, like talking shit about the game. And it's, there's a number of things on any given night. So at this point, I think he's just maximizing the platform that's already there by using ESPN and just tweeting out of his mouth instead of, <laughs> instead of using Twitter. Yeah. So that part of it, I don't blame him. I think like from a career standpoint, it's really smart. When was anybody going to fucking say Patrick Beverly's name this much in the last week? If he didn't go and talk all that shit and talk like super hot take stuff. I don't know if he has like a history of Chris Paul. Obviously they're not friends. So, you know, he wouldn't have went after him anyway. Um, Like from a basketball standpoint, I don't want to hear it from Patrick Beverly. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, Oh, Chris Paul's a fucking parking coach. Like he's beat you a lot of fucking times. You know (laughs) what I mean? And, and I'm going to remember Chris Paul in the top 75 and the hall of fame and all the things he's done that you haven't done because you've been a very, very marginal offensive player your entire career, like literally spent like, half a dozen years in the career like or uh, in his career excuse me just being like the scrappy dog on the team you know like like don't even pass to patrick beverly (laughs) on offense just let him scrappy dog it you know so from a basketball standpoint come on like and then the other hot take you know when they started talking about uh james harden and getting uh the max extension in philly and Patrick Beverly advocating for, you know, James Harden being worth the max extension in Philly, which, you know, most pundits would agree at this point seems like a pretty questionable move. And that's where you just have to question the credibility of someone talking at that point. Like, can you take a current basketball player on an NBA contract looking for more NBA contracts? Can you take his opinion that seriously he needs to advocate for everybody to make more money so he can make more money so that's where like you you take these guys and you ask them certain questions and they just have to me like no credibility in those arenas you know yeah and it it's gonna be interesting to see because but it obviously worked i mean who who the heck is talking about first take on like a Monday or, or like a Tuesday, unless Stephen A does some some stuff, so it, it worked. I think that there's actually something a little bigger at play here. So it's been it's been well documented that the NFL is going after Christmas Day. The schedule came out; they've got the games coming right. That's been the NBA's day for a minute now. Mm-hmm. Um, and if the NBA doesn't have that property, their TV value goes down uh, across the board. So in the past, we would not have seen guys been allowed to go do this. Um, but I think the league is in a, a place now where it's like they know exactly what they are, right? As much as we want to talk about the basketball, and we love to talk about the X's and, and, and O's, they're a league that's fueled by the drama and the storylines in a way that David Stern would be very proud of. So yeah. it, what do you do if maybe um, your biggest franchise in Christmas Day has been devalued? You win the ground game every single day. That's why you see guys like 
Patrick Beverly bringing all of the smoke onto ESPN, a league partner, so that everything kind of gets propped up a little bit so that the next time things go out, they're like, hey, we got these games, but then we can also give you some of our guys on your shows to kind of bump up that too. I think it's really smart from the NBA's point of view. Yeah, it's very astute, Denny. Very astute. That sounds accurate. And especially, you know, because the person blowing all that smoke is probably the, what, like sixth <laughs> best player on his team? Yeah. You know, like like we should be talking about uh, Ann Edwards, yeah. you know, one of the most exciting players in the league who I saw in an Adam Sandler trailer. That was very exciting, but we're not. We're talking about Pat Beverly talking shit about somebody else. Yeah. Yeah, hook, line, and sinker. They got us. It's also interesting because who's the new owner? Who's the incoming owner of the Minnesota Timberwolves? A guy that has a very tight relationship mm. with ESPN and Alex Rodriguez. So, come oh, on. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Here comes the A-Rod show. The shit show. <laughs> it's going to get bad there. Good uh, players, though. Let's see what happens. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. Um, all right, so let's get to actually some of, of the basketball. And, you know... It is the offseason for a lot of the teams. There's still four teams left playing, but the NBA is eyeing a rule change that would take away the transition take fail that would award the offensive team with one free throw and retaining possession. Uh, this is Persham Shrani of the Athletic. Benny, I, I kind of like this because how many times do you see a three-on-one mm. where they just foul and you know try to stop the transition there? So what do you make of this potential rule change? I love it. I've been with... Jeff Van Gundy has been on TV yelling about this for two seasons. And he made the point two years ago. That's still the point now, which is fast break basketball is the most exciting shit in basketball. Yeah. Like, like, and if you're looking, as you said, to put a product out in the floor and you want the most exciting things, do you want like the most athletic people in the world being like unnecessarily cheap shot, dumb shit fouled at half court while they're breaking or do you want to see these men like gazelles like glide half court with only three four steps and do some amazing dunks and alley-oops that's what i want to see yeah so i i will take any rule change that will help take away that silly foul um i'm all for it so I wasn't quite sure how, what the big impact of this was going to be. And, and, and whenever I, I don't know something, I go to the people that are the experts. Yesterday, I was working with my guy, Tim Legler, and I asked expert. him about this. Love him. Great. Expert. Um, and, and he's like, this is still going to happen. It's just in, rather than it being like like so obvious that the refs can almost anticipate it, you're going to see almost like a, a, a Drew Holiday going in on Marcus Smart at the end of the game where they're going to go for the ball. So you're still going to have it. It's just going to look more like they're going for the ball because if there's one thing we know about the NBA guys, if, if there's a loophole somewhere, they're going to find it. So it's going to be right. maybe make it a little bit more physical rather than just like a touch foul. So something to keep an eye on. I'll take that. It almost sounds like the kickoff in the XFL. <laughs> you know, maybe they should start doing that in the NBA. Let's take away the the beginning tip. Oh, I love it. I love it. Do we want to do a, a a quick in memoriam for the Suns real quick? Because this thing fell across, fell apart real quick. Um, we were talking last week about hey, sharpie them into the finals, and now oh, here yeah. here we are a couple days later. Chris Paul turns thirty seven, and we all look dumb. I, I yeah, I mean I think everybody does, but I don't think anybody saw that that 
that absolute collapse. I think that's what changed it because it wasn't just losing. Yeah. You know, if if we saw like this, oh man, that was what a series. Anybody could have taken that, you know? Like the reason you're not ups like you're upset as a Bucks fan right now, but you're not you're not killing yourself. Yeah. Like they could have won those games. Like they were right there. Um, that last game was just one of those ones that I just think blew everybody's hair back to a point where you're like, okay, you can't run this back anymore. Yeah. And it does kind of make you sort of ignore the regular season and imagine now that, oh, this guy was really old in the playoffs. He was our leader, but he really looked bad the last four games. Uh, DeAndre Ayton doesn't have a contract, and he only played 18 minutes the last game, and it was described as something internal. You know, so I don't think it was just losing. It was the way they lost. And and now it's hard to see the Suns just, like, standing put this summer and, you know, uh, and running running this squad back, especially with some of the quality you're seeing now. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about the entire duration of, of the Suns run, about how, how Chris Paul was like such an important part of getting them to where they are. Uh, when you're missing kind of like a floor general on, on the field, uh, on the court out, out there, it's kind of interesting to me where they go from there. Can Devin Booker take that next step into being a leader? He's all already phenomenal uh, MVP candidate, but can you take that step? And then, the, like you said, the DeAndre Ayton contract situation, um, you know, they were hesitant to give it to him after a finals run where he played pretty good. I mean, Giannis makes a lot of people look bad, so there's no shame in him making you look bad in, in NBA finals. Um, so I think that they got to pay him, but, you know, I think um, owners aren't, aren't trying to give out a big payday if they don't have to, so that's going to be a very interesting thing to follow. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But to the Western Conference Finals, you know, we kind of got sidetracked there. I felt like I felt like we owed it to Phoenix to no, kind of had to. You got to pour a little yeah. out. All right, so the Golden State Warriors took a 1-0 series lead over the Dallas Mavericks in a game that I thought was like super interesting to watch. You know, we saw uh, the Mavs come back uh, against the Phoenix Suns, and then kind of not have too many answers on on defense. Now, I kind of wanted to break break this down, a couple of things that I found, but w- watching this game, what were your big takeaways from uh, a performance from Curry that was very Curry postseason-esque and Luka Doncic getting his first taste of the conference finals? So I have two big takeaways yeah. from it. The first is which you already mentioned, which is I feel like Steph Curry is in kind of a pattern now, like a cyclical pattern where like every two to three years – He's put in a position to be like, hey, do you remember like I'm, you know, like one of the best players in the history of the NBA, like <laughs> over here? And he kind of has to remind everybody. And, you know, he gets out into that game and he's doing some real Steph Curry stuff, like some of the old school stuff. He's, he's kicking the ball around in real ways. He's dribbling in and out of people and kind of making people dance around. And yeah, it's, it was old school Steph Curry stuff. It was fun. You know, and and I don't think he's the same player he was in 15, but like he's just a savvy. He's he's not done, and I think uh, Curry's really enjoying this moment, getting into the Western Conference Finals again, and and every and kind of reminding everybody, like, hey, here we are. Um, and then the other aspect of this, which you know I thought was going to help the Mavericks more than it did, and it still might, um, is you know, the length of the Mavericks and their versatility and the things that helped them with the Suns where they're able to put Reggie Bullock and a big Luka Doncic and 
uh, Finney Smith and some of these other versatile wings who can, you know, cover guards and cover the perimeter. I really thought that was going to give the Warriors some trouble. And like I said, it still might, but it kind of went in reverse this game. And this is where you have to give the Warriors some credit for team building is, you know, you kept Looney this whole time. Draymond's obviously an all world defender, you know, and now you out on the perimeter, you can throw Andrew Wiggins, you throw Otto Porter Jr., who's a really useful defender and very versatile, you know, toss Kaminga out there for some minutes. And all of a sudden you have some like uh, wing versatility, which isn't something that uh, former Warriors teams necessarily had. And I think it's going to help them in this series because uh, you're dealing with a oversized point guard in the way of you know, what Larry bird and LeBron James and like these, that's that type of player. And you can't throw your standard, uh, your standard defenders at that, you know, you don't want Steph Curry covering Luka Doncic. Mm -hmm. So it's good. They have these options and I think it's going to help them. But I also think the same exact thing and let's let it go back to Dallas is going to help Dallas in a couple of these games as well. So the, the first half of that, nobody was hitting three-pointers like at all. It, it was actually kind of embarrassing. Steph was not in, in, in the groove yet, and Dallas wasn't able to take advantage of it on the road. I, I think that's a pretty big indicator. Um, they kind of warmed up a little bit hitting those shots in, in the third. But the interesting thing that I, I found was that uh, in the Warriors game plan, they're like, we're going to put Wiggins on Luka and let it do the thing. Um, when Luka got a little bit cooking more offensively, it's when he was able to find find the switch and, and get uh, onto Clay. which it's like, if, if you would have told me that a few years ago, I, I, I would have been shocked to hear it. And then the reliance on, um, uh, and then also, if, if you go on the defensive end for the Mavs, you almost can't play Spencer Dinwiddie defensively. When Steph got going, it's because Dinwiddie was guarding him and when, when he went off in, in, in that third quarter. So thus far, like Dinwiddie's production offensively in this series has not been what you need to like overcome the defensive liabilities. So I thought that was pretty pretty interesting. But Yeah, yeah. If Dinwiddie can't get on Jordan Poole or, yeah. or one of those things, like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's gonna happen with them. But again, uh, I think, you know, the same thing. Uh, with the Celtics coming off, you know, that big last game and being a little burnt out. I think the Mavs kind of suffered the same thing, just that high off the last series and you get into this new game. I, I do think it's going to be a series. I don't think this game was an indication of what we're going to see throughout. I think it's going to be Warriors in five. And my favorite thing, Ooh. you know, I love the Splash Brothers, right? I love the way that Clay is manipulating the defensive manipulating the defenses and being able to like get like the dump off to like your Kamingas and like your, uh, your auto porters down low. And they're just getting like easy buckets. The way he's been able to do that on the baseline thus far has just been crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I think I really, I think we're, we're like six maxi Kleba threes away from completely rethinking how we see this series. My it's guy, coming. Maxi Kleber. It's coming. My guy. Um, all right, then let's move over to the Eastern Conference, shall we? And the Miami Heat were able to get the game one win in South Beach. They took over a really depleted Boston Celtics team. Um, they got that win in, in game one. Um, a bunch of defense a bunch of questions about personnel going into game two 
Uh, obviously missing uh, Smart and Horford. Big deal there. But the, the, the interesting thing that I'm finding about the Miami Heat, because in, in game one, the, the thing really turned on its head when they uh, Bam and Jimmy really stepped up the defensive intensity on the best defense of the league, and Bam was getting blocks. Jimmy was picking at everybody's pockets, and that's when they were able to extend it to like a 10 to 12-point lead there. So do you think that the Miami Heat can keep up this kind of defensive intensity that we saw in game one through the rest of the series? Or do you think the best defense in the league gets back to what they do best? Yeah, the latter. Um, I think, you know, the context of this game is my, this was a must win game for Miami. No, no doubt about it. Like if they didn't win this game, they are fucked for this series. Uh, Boston, they didn't have to win this game. It would have been nice. Hmm. But I don't think with the way they're playing, uh, come with no Horford, no Smart, um, once it got real nasty, playoff Jimmy showed up. I think in the back of their heads, it's like, all right, all right, all right, all right. We're good. We're good. We just got to let's get out of this one. But for Miami, it's a must win game. So I do think it was a lot more critical for Miami. Uh, Boston was beat up after that last game with the Bucks. Grant Williams looked like he was about to die at the end of that game against the, I've never, he's the, I'm talking Patrick Ewing sweaty. That was, that was some next level shit. Um, so no, I think I, I still like Boston for this series. Uh, I think Miami is, is doing what you expect them to do and they're tough and, and, and Jimmy can do this, you know, two, three games out of this series. He's gonna, he's gonna really put up, but I, I still like my, my, excuse me, pregame pick of yeah. uh, of Boston to go through. So if, if they go back to Boston up 2-0, potentially steal one, I think then we're in, in, in murky water. But if they split, sure. if they split in, in Miami and somehow the Celtics can, can get this together, yeah, man, I think, that, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, it, it's tough <laughs> yeah, news. So. They're fucked. They have to win these games yeah. at home. So, all right, plenty of ways to get in contact with the show. You can email us at thetunapodcast at gmail.com. Two P's in there. If you want to follow us on all the social platforms, we're on the TuneUp HQ on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Uh, please subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you want to follow the big man on Twitter, he is at Benny Horowitz1, number one in your mind, number one in your heart, number one on Twitter. I'm at Danny underscore Gallagher. Benny, you got anything else? Yeah, somebody helped me with my very conflicted relationship about Aaron Judge right now. <laughs> He doesn't like the contract. He's having a huge year. Yankees are in first. He's complaining about stadiums. I'm getting a very A-Rod feeling about Aaron Judge right now. Someone talk me off a ledge, please. Choose kindness. The show has ended. Go in peace. You've been listening to the tune. <laughs>